Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. Again, again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, the observant among you, if you are a regular in Chalmers, will remember that in October last year, Johnny Gilmore and Scott preached two sermons on Mark 4 and 5. Johnny preached on Mark 4, 1 to 34, Scott on the section through chapter 5. And they were both excellent sermons. Uh, I know that because I can remember them clearly, and that's always a good sign. They are online, and I encourage you to listen to them. When we were producing the term card, aware of uh, these sermons being preached recently, what I decided to do was to have just one sermon on chapters 4 and 5, and next week Jay will preach on chapter 6, 1 to 29. The challenge, though, was which bit of Mark 4 and 5 to select. 
We did discuss it in our sermon prep meeting this week and decided on 4, 1 to 20 for two reasons in particular. The main one is the particular season or focus where we are in church life, taking a step forward in speaking Jesus' words, particularly to people who aren't Christians, a step forward in personal evangelism. And that is the season we are in as a church. And I want you to be encouraged that many people are taking a step forward, whether it's simply a step forward to think more intentionally about evangelism, or a step forward in spending time with or meeting people who aren't Christians. For others, the step forward is telling people we are Christians or explaining a bit about what that means. And it's interesting that hitherto perhaps I'd be saying for some the step forward might be. Now we're able and we need to give God thanks for that because of how he is changing our hearts. It is what is happening and for some, the step forward is asking people to read the Bible with them this coming week, tomorrow, Tuesday. I know there are two people who are meeting to read the Bible with friends who aren't yet Christians for the first time. A conscious decision to take a step forward. Please pray for these people. Please pray that people will be converted. And please pray that this will happen more and more among us as a church. And of course, what we pray for Chalmers, we pray for Redeemer. I think the plant of Redeemer has really helped us to see the priority of evangelism. Now, that's the main reason and a good reason. There is another practical reason, particularly for the next service. In a week's time, the citywide CUs will have an events week where many of our students, staff workers associated with Chalmers and Redeemer will be involved. And Mark 4, 1 to 20 is an excellent preparation for an events week. So they are some of the reasons for deciding on Mark 4. But let's be quiet for a moment and pray together. Our Father, for many of us, this is familiar Bible teaching. But the real question is, are we obedient to the clear instruction here to speak Jesus' words? It is possible that we know this parable off by heart, but as yet it hasn't changed our hearts. Lord Jesus, we pray if that is so, that your words will change us, that we will listen and obey. Lord, for those of us who are trying, perhaps for the first time, to take steps forward in speaking Jesus' words, encourage us. And for some perhaps here who aren't yet Christians, we pray that they might find the beginnings of understanding, coming to understand what perhaps they have heard before but never listened to. And so may the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see, enable us to understand and respond to Jesus' words of invitation to repent and believe in him for life and forgiveness. And it is in his name and for his sake that we ask these things. Amen.
Now, we'll look at the parable under three simple headings. Firstly, speaking Jesus' words. The parable that you read is about speaking Jesus' words. Key verse 14, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. If there is an emphasis in the parable, it leans towards the sower sowing the word. How do we know that? Well, up to this point in Mark's gospel, Mark has made it clear that the priority is speaking. If we had time, we would sketch that. We don't. Let me just run over the top of it. John the Baptist is a messenger, a speaker, a proclaimer. The Lord Jesus begins his ministry, chapter 1, verse 14, proclaiming, speaking. Jesus' teaching is powerful, and moreover, it is priority. A key verse, 138, Jesus said, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach, speak, for that is what I came for. That shows no lack of compassion when he heals the paralytic of his sins. It is the deepest need he addresses. Jesus' words, we have seen, are met with a whole range of reactions, not least hostility. And last week we saw in chapter 3, 13 to 35, how Jesus, rejected by his own family and the religious leaders of his day, inaugurates a new order, the church, where his message will be universal. Just take a glance to chapter 3, verse 13, where we were last week. And notice what characterizes this new order, the church. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, speak. The church is founded on the speaking ministry of the apostles. They spoke Jesus' words. Jesus spoke when he was on the earth. They spoke Jesus' words when Jesus returned to be with his Father. And so the church began. We could go all over the New Testament. We could go to the last words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the first generation of Christian ministers. Speak, preach the word. Speaking Jesus' words remains our priority. And when you get to this bit in Mark, chapter 4, what you've got ringing in your ears, John the Baptist, speaker, Jesus, speaker, the apostles, speakers, the ministry of the church, speakers. And so what you get in chapter 4 is a description of what it's like when you speak Jesus' words. It is a, a wonderful chapter uh, that just so powerfully describes things as they are. One of the great things about the Bible is that it describes life as it is. It's not another world. It's so real. Now, the parable of the sower, Johnny's sermon will give you the picture of the whole of the section, 4, 1 to 34. We're just on one parable. Now, with this emphasis on speaking, that you would have if we'd read the first four chapters of Mark. Let's uh, dive into verses 1 and 2, which set the scene. Again, Jesus, notice, again, 
he began to do what again? To teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on it. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching There are many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said, now, Mark is a man of few words. Mark's gospel is succinct, it's tight. Words are very carefully chosen. Three times in these two verses, teaching, teaching, teaching. Now, I hope that the word of God, not me, is persuading us that speaking is vital. So is listening. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, in verses 3 to 7, Jesus tells the parable, and in verses 14 to 20, he explains what it means. We'll focus on the explanation in verses 14 to 20. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. The word is the gospel, the message. And there are different reactions when Jesus' words are spoken. It is perfectly conceivable, logical, that what we will now read by way of reactions will be happening in this room or in an events week or as we go about uh, taking steps forward to share the gospel, the words of Jesus. This is a a great uh, passage to preach with the expectation, and I want to encourage you to believe in that, that what we are saying and describing will be happening here. Verse 15 explains the seed that falls on the path that the birds come along and devour. Verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Now that's quite shocking, isn't it? Satan hovering like a bird, ready to snatch the word away as soon as it is spoken. You're never far away in the Bible from a reminder that the work of a Christian or the calling of a church is in the realm of spiritual warfare or the supernatural. The devil hovering like a bird ready to swoop and snatch the seed away. Practically, what does that look like Well, it can look like a a lot of things. At the events week coming up, there will be flyering done. Um, I think flyering is a word. It didn't exist in my dictionary uh, on the computer. I think it is a word. And people will be handing out. Now, you know when you get handed, that's what I do, not Christian ones, I hope, but you get it. Sometimes you glance at it. Often you just take it out of a matter of politeness and you scrunch it up and you put it in the nearest bin. That is exactly the devil snatching away what's on that flyer as an invitation to hear Jesus' words. Or the people you invite to a carol service who don't reply, or you ask them face to face and they tell you they're busy or they text you 10 minutes before and say something has come up. And it might have, but it might not have. They're just not interested. Or you preach your heart out or you speak the gospel and at the end of it people just have no idea at all i often see it at a funeral or a wedding Uh, often uh, sally and i get sat on uh, strategic seats at a wedding and you can just see people when they look at the name tags and they see the ministers coming and they think oh no 
And then the rest of the day is us trying to persuade him that we're normal. And, and it's just, there's just deadness. Bright, sharp, able people who just don't get it at all. Or people who's just not interested. And don't presume and pray this isn't the case that is happening now. And uh, just to say that as we work through these different responses, you know, the Holy Spirit is very capable of moving us from one to the other. Perhaps just the shock of finding that we might be there. Maybe your mind in the last five minutes has been a hundred miles away, and that can be for good reasons. We always pray upstairs before the service for folks who come worn down by stuff in life. Now, the ground can be rock hard. As soon as the word is spoken, Satan snatches away the word. Next, verse 16 explains the seed that falls on rocky ground where there is little soil. The seed sprouts, grows quickly, but there is no depth of soil. Verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulations or persecutions arises on account of the word, immediately fall away. What is Jesus describing here? Here are some examples, real, true examples. A student who has come up to uni in their last year at school, they have responded to the gospel, perhaps on a camp, and it's great to see. They go to uni, they are open about their faith and freshest week, but the flack comes, they are just kind of shunned, I guess, and they quite quickly, are just not up for what it means to follow Jesus. And their Christian parents, their church, who have prayed for them, really feel it, really feel the discouragement. It could equally be at school. The school playground is definitely rocky ground. And that initial spark that brought so much rejoicing is gone. Or a person, these are all really examples. They're not made up. They're just from my experience uh, as a pastor, the person who is part of a group reading Mark's gospel who shows real genuine enthusiasm and interest, but when it gets to the back end of Mark on discipleship and costs, whoever follows me needs to bear a cross, and we start unpacking what that is, they say, it is not for me. People who respond in an events week to the gospel sign up to a follow-up course and who drop out after a few weeks. Maybe when their mates hear they're going along and give them a hard time. Or someone who agrees to read the Bible with you. But after a couple of meetings, they don't respond to your texts, the invitations to meet up. Faith means following Jesus, and there are costs. They are not up for it. That is just our culture. And it may be in our evangelism that we get to speak Jesus' words to people from a culture or ethnic community where there are much more serious consequences to following Jesus, maybe cut off from their family or worse. And humanly speaking, we can readily understand that the cost is too great. It's not worth it. I think it's important 
that we don't see verse 16 and 17 simply as people who initially respond and then immediately fall away. It might be like that, but Jesus says they endure for a while. Could be a few months, could be a few years. Let me just underscore at that point the vital, vital necessity of discipleship, of helping people put their roots down, of reading with people, of small groups. When we put out a, a, an invitation to join a small group, we're putting out a means of grace. And as I wrote this during the week and yesterday and this morning, and as I read it now, there are real people in my mind. We forget quite quickly the countless occasions when the flyer is scrumpled up and put in the bin. I don't think the devil snatching the seed away before it hits the ground hits our hearts like the people who spring up, who flourish, and then who fall away. I warrant that there are such people in your minds as mine now. Next, verses 18 to 19, the seed that falls among thorns. The thorns grew up and checked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You could not find a more real, realistic, or contemporary, or accurate statement in the Bible than that. Twice in my life, I can remember vividly reading these words with someone. And I said, where, where, where? And they stopped me and they said, that's just an exact description of the pattern of my life. The cares of this world, all the stuff that comes along in life, the burdens, the battles of life, the deceitfulness of riches. Notice it's the deceitfulness of wealth. The desires for other things where our hearts and affections are drawn, they choke the word, the gospel in someone's life, and it proves unfruitful. And there are often longer timescales here. People who become Christians, but over time and over life, other stuff gets in the way. Their first love for Jesus, no longer their first love, their priorities change. Maybe after uni or in midlife, you look back on a life and it's unfruitful. There is no spiritual fruit. Are these people still Christians? I don't think we know. I think we say what it says and call people back to Jesus. They might be people who still come along to church, but their lives are unfruitful. Fruitfulness is a gauge of genuine conversion. And there is nothing more discouraging than watching someone you shared the gospel with over the years never move on in their Christian life or drift away with all the pressures of life and the world. And it is understandable. There are all sorts of risks. And again, when you read this, do you not see the vital importance of being part of a living gospel church that will invest in you, teach you Jesus' words, hold you accountable to them? Here's a question. 
When you apply for a new job, that might be relevant to some of us here. Sorry, that might have come out the wrong way. I'm not applying for a new job. Just in case anyone thought I was saying that. When you apply for a new job, which will involve a relocation, or if you move location for a range of other reasons, and there is nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong with applying for a new job, and there's nothing wrong with moving locations. But how high in your consideration in light of these sober warnings, how high in your planning is finding the right church so that you will keep growing and serving as a Christian? For some, it hardly figures at all. And there are casualties. And as we think on these people we have known, as we name them in our minds, as we bear them in our hearts, we feel the discouragement in part because of all the investment in them. But not, I think, primarily that, just the sadness that life and the world has got a grip of them and pulled them away. Yesterday in the ordination, I was sharing with our English friends that one of the peculiar features of Scotland, one of them is this unusually cold snap of weather. And another one is that as Scots, we like to lose well. I think we we kind of enjoy a sermon on Mark chapter 4 down to verse 19. I mean, it is crystal clear and it is true. I don't think any of us are going to say afterwards, well, that's not real life as a church. The biggest danger, and I'm going to say this a couple of times today, the biggest danger is we do not believe verse 20. That's a massive danger. especially because it sounds like an exaggeration. So here's verse 20. This is explaining the seed that falls into good soil and produces grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100 That is a wonderfully encouraging statement. People who are converted and grow as Christians who go on in the Christian life and they speak the words of Jesus to others. There are two statements like this in Mark's Gospel. People respond and the fruit is a hundredfold. Later on in chapter 10, those who leave stuff for Jesus will be given in this life a hundred times. People who are converted and start speaking Jesus' words to others. Now, there might be uh, a few tears next Sunday night when Peter, Ben, and Natasha are baptized. There were a few tears yesterday. And the tears yesterday were not about Jay coming to Chalmers to be a, a minister. They were more about parents to kids and stuff like that. Just simple responses to the gospel. There should be tears of joy when the word of the gospel, the words of Jesus, fall on fertile soil. I think that's what Jesus means when he talks about people who hear the word accepted and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. It means they become fruitful, vibrant Christians. 
Somebody became a Christian in Chalmers just a couple of weeks ago, and we rejoice in what's happened in that young man's life. How did he become a Christian? Another Christian spoke Jesus' words to him. And so it multiplies, and so it multiplies all across the world. And we must remember that. In days when we might think the first half of this parable describes our culture, we must hold on and pray and expect. Verse 20. And I just wonder, in light of where we are as a church in this season, if verse 20 is perhaps elusive to us simply out of our lack of obedience. Just do it. Now, we don't always see the fruit. Very often we don't. So in my mind this week, there was a lady, um, a Chinese lady who was converted uh, in Chalmers a few years ago. She was baptized. She gave her testimony. It was a great night. We'll never see her again. She's back. Now, we do not know what she will say. I warn that she will tell a lot of people about Jesus. And we do not know what the response has been. Say five people have been converted, and who will they tell? That's what this is about. Now, speaking Jesus' words, let's uh, consider just for a few minutes listening to Jesus' words. I don't think any of us will dispute that the description here, apart from verse 20, which we may not believe, I'm not sure that any of us will dispute that the description of speaking Jesus' words here is anything other than absolutely accurate. It is so realistic. It is so like it is. But listening to Jesus' words, just look at the bookends around verses 3 to 9. Listen. Verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to people who aren't Christians? Or somewhere in rocky ground or shallow ground or risky ground in the parable to listen up? Yes. But is he not also speaking to Christians who are strong, listen. Someone who is not a Christian listening. It might be that listening, just as the devil comes to snatch away the seed, God intervenes. And that moment, which was like every other sermon you've ever heard, this time you find yourself somewhere further on in the parable. Or someone who is beginning to come to terms, are you listening? Where the cost of following Jesus and you are tempted to turn away. You're back in church today, but you've not been here for a month. Think carefully. 
And remember, you are part of a church family that will help you. There are countless people who can share your own testimony of being tempted to turn away. Or someone listening here who is caught up with the cares of the world. And with gentleness, Jesus says to you, I understand. There's just so much going on in your life. And Jesus wants to come into our lives, your life, in a real way. That's what he promises to do and bear these cares with you. Or someone here who is caught by the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. Let me just mark what you know, what you will read everywhere. It will never satisfy in the end. There is a greater treasure you can have. Or perhaps there is a greater treasure you do have. A treasure that will never rust. A greater object of your devotions and desires. The Lord Jesus. A higher purpose. A greater object of love and service. Satisfaction and delight. But what about what is really said from this parable? To the committed, zealous believer. Are you listening? Are you listening to be prepared for the realism of half of this parable? Because that's what you will experience. But are you listening to be prepared for the optimism of the promise of fruitfulness? Do you evaluate this parable? Do you weigh it up? Don't be Scottish and lose well. What an invitation that is to the church in Scotland. Don't lose well. And we're not talking prosperity here. We're talking conversions to Christ. The committed believer listening to be prepared, both realism and optimism. And the committed believer listening to be challenged if we do not believe the promise of fruitfulness. But you know, I wonder if the challenge to us is simpler and straighter and more straightforward than all of that. And the challenge is simply to speak Jesus' words. Because how can this parable work itself out if Christians do not respond obediently to Jesus' encouragement to speak his words. You cannot get to Mark chapter 4 and conclude that speaking Jesus' words is for the few and not all. What a difference it would make and is making, and I want to encourage you in that, 
when we speak Jesus' words. In our staff meeting on Friday, we had a little, we have huddles in our staff meeting, team time huddles. And we were praying in our little huddle for each of us to take one step forward. And I shared with them the particular cafe and the particular individual that uh, is on my heart. And they prayed. And yesterday morning, I went there and had my scone and whatever. And then they came across and said, what do you do? And I told them what I did. And they said, can you tell me about why you do what you do? Now, that has never happened to me before. And the only thing I did was, did it. Let me, it's risky me saying that. Anyway, I've done it too late. Don't miss the key application of Mark chapter 4 to the zealous Christian. Do what Jesus says we're to do. Now let's finish up with God's sovereignty and salvation. In the middle of the parable, there's this little section, 10 to 12. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? Parables are there to divide. They're there to divide between those who see and those who do not see. And God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign. Ultimately, it is Him who opens our blind eyes. Now, to the Christian, and we've had two complex issues in the last two weeks. Last week, the, the unforgivable sin, and, and, and it's good that many of you were encouraged and helped by God's words last week. Hear the sovereignty of God and salvation. To the Christian, and I would say this often when I'm speaking to people who aren't Christians, it just makes logical sense for God not to be sovereign in all things. Be God's God. He is ultimately sovereign. And there are limits to our understanding. I was trying to read recently about a, about a Christian doctrine called aseity, the non-needfulness of God. He doesn't need us, but He uses us. He loves us, or the Trinity, or the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility and free will. As one of the old hymns puts it, it's ineffably sublime. We can't get our heads around the omniscience of God. Sovereignty of God in salvation is not a reason not to do evangelism. It is principally a reason to do evangelism. It is not down to us to convert. Let me encourage you to look for the evidence of the sovereignty of God, His providence. Who is open to listen to the words of Jesus? Not often the people we should expect. And even when there is no response or fruitlessness, then we are still to speak Jesus' words. Isaiah was to speak Jesus' words, even though people would not respond then. But what fruit has come from Isaiah's words through the centuries? 
and the sovereignty of God and salvation for people who are not Christians. It requires our humility. It requires our submission to God. It requires our simple trust. So I have numerous conversations with people around that issue. There are two realms of their questions. Some of them come from a heart that is hard, a closed heart, finding a reason to write off the illogicality of God or whatever. But sometimes the questions come from a soft heart, an open heart, concern for others, concern for family. The open-hearted questions typically yield to faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we prayed at the beginning, for many of us, these are familiar words. And we pray, Lord, that each of us today in different ways will have listened. Not least if we are keen Christians, zealous for Jesus, to obey his instruction to speak his words. Because that is how people hear and respond. Help us not to shut out that simple exhortation from Jesus. And Lord, if we find ourselves floundering in one of the bits of the parable in life where there are warnings and where there are risks, we pray that in your gracious care of us, by your Holy Spirit, you would draw us back into the habitat where the Christian thrives the Word of God, the place of hope and rest with Jesus. Come to me, Jesus said, whoever is weary and burdened, whoever is besieged by the worries of life, and to those who are caught up by the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, the Lord Jesus says to us, come to me, come to me, and you will find rest. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.